welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I want to continue our series uh, on mission. We're up to part three. I took a little bit of a break last week with all of our young people away. Having said that, I'm sure you would agree that what I did share would have fitted very well into our on mission series. So in a sense, we're actually on mission part three, although it could be four, but we're calling it three. Last week I spoke that if you're not dead, God's not done. Okay, so you can get on the website and uh, download those messages or on iTunes and just download all of our resource free of charge. But today I want to start with a text, a piece of scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst, Paul says. That's why Jesus came. His primary mission in coming to planet Earth was to rescue people, precious people. People are precious to God. Jesus endured the cross, as I mentioned before, with all of its pain, shame and blame that came with it because He was dedicated and devoted to people. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom you and I are the worst. Turn to the person next and say, you're the worst. <laughs> then turn back to that same person and say, not really, I am. <laughs> Jesus was, is and always will be madly and passionately in love with people. The up and outs, the down and outs and everything in between. If you are a down and out, you are welcome. If you are doing really well, you're welcome. If you're somewhere in between those two extremes, you are welcome in this place today because you matter to God and you matter to the church. Jesus was a great storyteller. And in Luke chapter 15, he told three stories. One of them was the lost sheep. And you can read that in Luke 15 verse 11. One was the lost coin. You can read that in Luke 15, verse 8. And one was the lost son. Three stories about lostness, if there is a word. And what you've got to understand is the stories had great significance. He said, if there was a hundred sheep and one was lost... Jesus was interested in that one. That's 1%. Is that right? One of 100 is 1%. So if there's 1% that is lost, Jesus is interested in that 1%. He told a story about 10 coins. And if one coin was lost, that's 10%. If 10% of the world is lost, Jesus is still interested. And then he told the story about a man who had two sons. And one of them was lost. That's 50%. And effectively what Jesus is reiterating here is his concern for the lost. And whether the community that you live in or whether the home you live in or whether the school that you go to or the place that you work has 1% that is lost, 50% that is lost or 10%, they are important to him. 
They are His primary preoccupation. And it must become ours. We must preoccupy ourselves with what preoccupies the mind of Christ. And He is interested in the lost. Our mission as a church is to reach people, precious people. It's to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. That's why we are here, church, to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. I want to read of an account of the life of Christ found in John chapter 4. John is one of the eyewitnesses that wrote down what he saw Christ do and say. And in John chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised. John is being very thorough here. But his disciples... So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar or Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was also there. And Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some food. This story starts with Jesus, who is in Judea, and he wants to go back to Galilee. Now what I'm about to say, you can prove by looking at a map. And it says that he had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. In other words, there was Judea, Samaria, Galilee. But if you look at the map closely, you'll find out something. You'll find out that Jesus did not have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. In actual fact, none of the Jews ever went through Samaria. Any Jew that wanted to get from Judea to Galilee would cross the Jordan, walk on the other side of Samaria, cross back over the Jordan and get to Galilee that way. In other words, this was not a geographical had to go through Samaria. There was something else going on in the mind of Christ that he had to go through Samaria. It was not a geographical hat to. I believe it was a missional hat to. Jesus was sensing something in his spirit that there is somebody that he had to meet and it's not on the other side of the Jordan. Church, we can't keep walking around the problem. We can't keep walking around the people that need Jesus the most. And Jesus, mindful of what everyone else was doing, said, I'm going straight to the heart. I'm going to go straight to the problem. I'm going to go straight through. I'm not going around. I'm going through, baby. And when all the other Jews went around and took the long way around, a lot of Christians taking the long way around, taking a long time to learn their lesson. Jesus just goes straight through Samaria. 
And because they didn't have cars with air conditioning, with BP stop-offs every five minutes to get a drink, Jesus found himself tired, hot, bothered and exhausted. And so he sat down by a well, a well that was dug by Jacob. And it was there at the well that a young woman joined him. Jesus tired, thirsty, hot and bothered, sitting by a well, finds himself now next to a woman. Jesus is smack bang in the centre of the will of his Father. He was in a place where no one else wanted to go, talking to someone no one else wanted to talk to. Everyone was disappointed. The disciples left Jesus. But there's something going on on the inside of Jesus that's saying, this is why I'm here. But in order for him to outwork his mission, he has to break through a few barriers. And it's these barriers that I want to look at this morning because these barriers that Jesus broke through that day are the very same barriers that you and I have to break through if we are to be on mission and to stay on mission. Because whether we are aware of it or not, we have women and men and people coming up to us all the time. They may not be dressed like that. It may not be by a well, but it could be about the water cooler in your office. It could be at the drinking fountain in your school. This moment in Jesus' life has happened to every one of us. And I reckon many of us have missed it. Because we weren't prepared to break through the barriers that Jesus was prepared to break through in order to reach the people that needed Him most. That's why we're here, church. And so some of the barriers that Jesus had to break through that day were many and varied. But the first one was that racial barrier. Because here's Jesus, He finds Himself now in a place where no other Jew wants to go. Do you know why the Jews did not want to go through Samaria? I'll tell you why. This is deep. Got to do a lot of Bible college for this. The reason he didn't want to go through Samaria is because that's where Samaritans lived. (laughs) And the Jews did not have a very high view of Samaritans. In actual fact, Jewish people thought of Samaritans as less than human. And that was the men. For the women, it was a whole nother level. And guess who rocks up at the well? 
a Samaritan woman. The least of the least rocks up. And Jesus is in the center of God's will. And what I love about this moment is what Jesus does and what he says. And what he doesn't do and what he doesn't say. The first thing you find is that Jesus does not say, what are you doing here? He doesn't ignore her because she's a woman. But he strikes up a conversation. And it didn't start with her going to hell. Are you getting that? He didn't say turn or burn. But he actually engages her with a very real and relevant conversation. He sees this woman. He sees the well. And he joins the situation. Instead of talking about going to hell, he talks about thirst and water because it was a hot day and he was near a well. If we're going to engage people, we've got to be relevant. It's amazing at this moment, Jesus is not talking about fish. <laughs> and he's not even talking about sheep. He's talking to this woman about the well and what's in the well. And he brings dignity to this woman by asking a simple little question about getting some water. In other words, he's saying, can you help me? Because Jesus has got no pail, he's got no bucket. And he starts a journey with her. The first barrier he had to break through was the racial barrier. The second barrier, and I'm going to need this slide up because I have no notes, was the religious barrier. This woman now feels comfortable talking to this man, this Jewish man. She's not used to this. Everyone's ignored her. There's a reason that she came in the middle of the afternoon. 
because none of the other women from the town were there. It was too hot. Because none of the other women in the town wanted this woman. They didn't want to associate with her. They didn't want to be with her. And so she had to come at a time that was in the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day, because that's when no one else would be there. But Jesus was. And now that there's been a connection around the well that they sat, this Samaritan woman starts saying, you know, you Jews, you talk about worshipping this way. We Samaritans, we talk about worshipping this way. And she entered into a religious discussion. And this is what I've learned about religious discussions. They'll get you nowhere. We believe you have to speak in tongues. We believe this. We believe in loud music. We believe in hymns. We believe in no drums. We believe in relevant Those conversations will take us nowhere. But Jesus, almost ignoring what she's just said about her religion versus his religion, What we Samaritans do versus what you Jewish ones do. What you Pentecostals do versus what the Catholics do. He just ignores it. He simply starts talking to this woman about his Heavenly Father. He starts talking to this woman about what his Father has done, what his Father is doing, You see, essentially, that's all Christianity is. It's a relationship. It's not a list of rules and regulations. It's a relationship. And so he starts talking to her about Father God. This freaked her out. She'd never heard such things before. She was expecting a debate. She was expecting a fight. She was expecting to get, she's got her little, her little scriptures all ready to go. It says here, it says here. Well, okay, there it says here. See, debating doesn't win people. People win people. And when we talk about what Jesus has done for us, I don't know about all that stuff. I don't know. But this is all I know. I was messed up. I was confused. I had a fear about the future. Since I've met Jesus, all that's gone. I think we can be more helpful and we can bless more people when we make our talks and discussions about a person than a religious formula. You Jews say this, we Samaritans say that. Jesus will have none of it. And he begins to talk about a person. Can I encourage you to stay away from the religious debates that are out there? You've got to break through the religious barriers. And the way you do that is through bringing Jesus at the center of our conversations. No one can argue with your testimony. There was a man that Jesus healed. He was born blind. And his own parents were debating with the kid who could now see. 
And this is he said, he said, I, I don't know if he was a good man or not. I don't know. All I know is I was blind. Now I can see. That's all I know. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Has to break through the cultural barrier. Has to break through the religious barrier. Then he's got to break through the church barrier. Because as Jesus and this woman were sitting at the well having a chat, the 12 come back. Jesus is deep in dialogue. And Peter, James, John and the boys got the groceries, been to the local 7-Eleven. And they're shocked at what they see. They did not expect to see Jesus talking to anyone, least of all a woman. But these are Jesus' boys. And they were horrified. The scripture doesn't quite say it this way, but I think reading between the lines, this is what they were saying. Uh, Jesus, can we have a word? Jesus. You've got James and John going. And I think behind all of that was this. What is she doing here? Jesus has spent his life with these young men, talking to them about the very reason he was here. And when the moment came, they missed it. See, it's so easy to get caught in the euphoria of church with the music and the lights and the moment. And we're going to say, yes, we love people. Yes, we're here on mission. Yes, we want to reach people. But I think when we say that, we have a certain class of person in mind. A certain type of person in mind. I mean, I've seen this firsthand. Yet some young, attractive, single woman come to church. And for all the men that are single, it's like, there is a God. This it truly is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice, preferably with her. But for some of our young single girls, maybe not as attractive, they're taking on the demeanour of the disciples. What's she doing here? And we do our best to make her feel as uncomfortable as possible so she goes. Because we don't want her taking one of our boys. And these disciples, are, we don't want her, he's ours, Jesus is ours. Maybe, maybe Judas is saying, I'll push her down the well. <laughs> maybe Judas is like, I don't know. I know they weren't happy to see her. Jesus was happy to see her and the ones following him closest were not. It's another barrier we've got to break through. Jesus, in order to reach this woman, had to break through the racial, 
religious and church barriers. If we're truly going to reach people, we've got to break through the very same barriers. The amazing thing about this is the fourth barrier, the geographical barrier. This woman was so amazed at what Jesus had to say because Jesus, in a very spiritual yet very practical way, freaked her out. Jesus took the conversation very deep, very quick, because that's what people who care do. They don't keep it superficial for long. And now that there's a connection with this woman, based upon their thirst, now he's broke through the religious barrier and dealt with his boys, he says, where's your husband? It gets quite personal very quickly. Care will do that. And she says, uh, I'm not married. And Jesus being practical, relevant, and yet spirit-led, says it's right that you're not married. It's right and correct in what you've said. Indeed, the man you live with is not your husband, but you have had five others. Jesus has now got her attention. Jesus speaks into her life. And here's the incredible thing. It's such an incredible moment. She feels so indebted. She can't keep it to herself. She has to go back to her home. She has to go back to her family and tell her what she has heard. Here's the amazing thing. As she's running off, as she's going to a town, this is a town that's rejected her. But there's something so incredible about Jesus that she's prepared to put herself in the midst of shame, pain, discomfort, to tell the people what she had seen and heard with her own ears and eyes. Every one of us has a world in which we live. This woman didn't live at the well. She lived in a home. She had a sphere of influence. And she went back and influenced her sphere of influence. This is a great moment in church for us. But we've got to go back. We've got to get into our world, our school, our university, our workplace. The times I hear, I'm the only Christian in my workplace. What? There is no better mission field than that. You don't need to go to India. Your workplace has become your India. This is for you, little India. And she said this to the people that have rejected her, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. That is not a good sales pitch. Can you imagine? He read my mail. 
He totally exposed the fact that I had five husbands. The guy I'm living with is not my husband. I mean, it's amazing. You've got a car. In other words, she couldn't explain everything for herself, but she was able to bring him to a man who could. Sometimes you're not going to have the answers for your family and friends. Bring him to church because there's someone here who's got answers and they can articulate better than you can where your friend's at. In order for us to be on mission, it's not enough just to say we love people. It's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough. We have to be prepared to do something about it as our musicians come. We have to be prepared to break through some barriers. And every one of us are going to have to break through the very same barriers that Jesus broke through in order to reach the people that Jesus is trying to reach. But in conclusion, I want to say this, that there is one other barrier that we need to break through. And that's the physical barrier. Because in verse 6, I think it is, it says this. Jesus, as tired as he was from his journey, sat down. Being on mission is tiring. Saying yes to Jesus is tiring and you will get weary from time to time. You will feel like giving up and giving in. But here's the thing about Jesus. He was physically tired. That's why he took a seat. But he was still spiritually alive. It never ceases to amaze me that when we get physically tired, the first thing that goes are our spiritual disciplines. Our reading, our devotion, our praise, our worship, our church attendance. Because we think we're tired, something's got to go, and we let go of the very thing that's going to sustain us. Jesus was tired and he was hungry, but he was spiritually alive. And I want to tell you from that moment when he started talking to that woman, the tiredness disappeared. The thought of food was no longer there. The disciples came over and said, Jesus, we did a good thing, huh? Huh? What do you think? We got all the food for you. He goes, I've had food you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of my Father. I say that to say this. Many of you would say, I want in. I want that, Tony. But in order for us to do it ongoingly, we've got to be able to get our own oil, keep our own relationship with God alive. That's your responsibility as much as it is mine for me. Do you know how many burnt out Christians there are blaming senior pastors or eldership teams or local churches that they were expected too much of them? Ministry cannot be done on bread alone. Ministry alone cannot be done. Well, sorry, ministry cannot be done on church alone, on raising your hands alone, on dancing in the mosh pit alone. 
Every one of us eventually will get tired. And the only thing that's going to keep us is His presence. The only thing that's going to keep us is Christ Himself. The food that Jesus was talking about is a food no man can give. This is not food you can get at Woolworths. The energy that was pulsating through His body was not an energy that you can get at the gym. The rest and the peace that He had is not a rest and peace you get through sleeping that will rest you physically, but it won't rest you spiritually. We are spiritual beings and we need to feed ourselves spiritually. We need to rest spiritually. We need to be still and know that He is God. If we don't get that, we will burn out. We will give up. And we will sit in meetings like this one, looking at our young guys saying, I used to be like you. You wait till you get a mortgage. You wait till you get married. You wait till you have kids. Oh, bless them. Come on. Some of us are so arrogant. We read the Scriptures and we look at the life of Jesus. It's okay for Him. He wasn't married. If I wasn't married, Jesus, I'd do what you did. Are you kidding me? We need to be spiritually awakened. We need to know what it is to pursue God. When the heavens are like brass, we've got to pursue God. Let me close with this story. King David is one of my heroes of the Old Testament. But before he was king, he was just a shepherd boy, anointed by God, called to do great things. That sounds awesome. And he embraced it. And he's saying yes to God. Guess what? All hell broke loose. All hell always breaks loose when you say yes to God. That's why you're going to need God to sustain you. And David now he's fleeing for his life. He's got the king of the land. That's pretty high authority. Can you imagine the prime minister after you using all his resources to get little old you? You don't stand a chance. David's running from the highest authority in the land. He manages to get a group of guys around him just to give him a bit of help. And so in order to feed and to sustain the team that he's created around him. They go off hunting and they come back and a group of nobodies have ransacked the camp, taking all of his food, possessions and his wives and children. So are you kidding me? The king of the land is after me. Some also rans have come and ransacked our campsite. And so he turns to his mate says, what do you think of that? That's not very good, is it? Then his friends want to stone him. Are you kidding me? This is like, this is like the triple threat. Young ones, I'm with you. Triple threat, got it. The king of the land after him. The raiding band come and taking everything. 
his 400 mighty men. And these guys had some clout. They did some great exploits. They want to kill him. He's got nobody and no one and no thing. That's burnout material 101 right there. That's give up now. God got it wrong right there. But this is what David said. The Scripture records that David did one thing and it was the one thing that he needed to do. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. If your world is falling apart and you're being overlooked and your camp has been ransacked, all I know to do is to encourage myself in the Lord. And I want to tell you, that's what sustained me. Not being the senior leader of this church, that just brings more trouble. We've been going for 20 years. And seven years before that, we led a youth group. And four years before that, I worked and served in kids ministry. It's a number of years that are building up. But here's the thing, I feel more alive now than ever before. And I'm not giving up for no one or no thing because my God rules, He reigns. And He has a plan and a purpose for me, for you, for this church. So you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord and be encouraged with this thought. If you're not a singer, fine, sing anyway. There are some that sing to the Lord and there are others like me that just make a joyful noise. But I want to tell you, my joyful noise in the ears of God with faith sounds better than some people's best soprano. Soprano, is that right? Some of you sing well, but you're not singing well. I woke up with this thought this morning, oh, I'm blessed. And it reminded me of a song written by Daryl Evans in the 90s. That I'm blessed in my coming. I'm blessed in my going. I'm blessed, oh Lord, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed in my coming. I'm blessed in my going. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. In our home, we always sing. You want to be, if you want to hang around our house, we sing. It's what we do. We're not good at it, but we sing. So we encourage ourselves in the Lord. I get on the treadmill and I listen to messages and I encourage myself in the Lord. That's what's going to keep us on mission. All these other barriers are crucial, but this one's the most crucial. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, in the desert by the devil, three times the devil came at him. Maybe you feel like that. Three times the devil's come at you. And Jesus says this on the last time, away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. See, it's not a matter of service or worship or worship or service. It's both. We are spiritual beings and we are practical beings. There is a job to do. Let's get to work. But there's a God to worship. Let's worship Him. You, you don't have the luxury to say, well, I'm just a worshiper. No, you're not. Worshipping equals working. And, work it, and working demands we worship. It's both, but it is in this order. Worship first. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.